Welcome back, everybody. I was just reading an article that was stuck in my article pile list, and this one is actually back from October 17th of 2020, but it struck me that I probably should talk a little bit about this. As many of you know, I have a soft spot in medicine for when we do things a certain way, either because of logic or out of fear, and then we find evidence-based medicine that makes us question whether we were practicing the correct way. And as you get older, you have more and more of these experiences in medicine. And I would say that the thing that's making me feel old these days is aging. And the other thing that makes me feel old is I actually read medical studies, which I'm learning more and more is not done as much these days. I have been recently told that CME money in our department is rarely spent on journal subscriptions because nobody reads journals anymore. So for those of you who don't, you can listen to dinosaurs like me. So this article was from the August 17th, 2020 Journal of American Medical Association, and it was titled Effect of Sustained Release Morphine for Refractory Breathlessness and Chronic Obstructive Pulmonary Disease on Health Status. And I just got out of breath saying that entire title without taking a breath. So maybe I should get my PFTs checked. In the meantime, let me tell you about this trial. It was a small trial, but it was a randomized clinical trial. And the patients that were randomized had advanced chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. Now, many of you who treat this, of course, know that we're very limited in what we can do with this disease. Meaning once we've maximized all the long acting and short acting inhalers, sent people to pulmonary rehab, utilize oxygen therapy, you know, there are other measures, but the fact is, is that when you have advanced COPD, the destruction is done. At this point in 2021, we don't have a therapy to reverse the pulmonary destruction in the lungs. And unlike choosy young people trying to find a really good date or spouse where the only heir that they are interested in is a millionaire, these people just want to feel any heir. They are so short of breath. And that's what the patients in this trial consisted of. They had to have moderate to severe chronic breathlessness due to advanced chronic obstructive pulmonary disease. So these weren't people with mild COPD. These weren't people with mild breathlessness. But we do see these people all the time. And when it's the very end stages, such as in hospice, we know morphine takes away this shortness of breath. But we want to be able to palliate these patient symptoms before they're at the hospice stage. And what was nice to see in this trial is those patients who received the low-dose sustained-release morphine not only had less breathlessness, their arterial partial pressure of carbon dioxide did not increase. So in this trial, it was a double benefit. And the reason that physicians for so long have been reluctant to prescribe opioids in COPD when it's not in the hospice stages is there's this big fear of respiratory depression that we're going to increase the carbon dioxide, that we're going to decrease the respiratory drive and respiratory rate. But in the group that got morphine in this trial, they didn't have anybody admitted to the hospital and there were no deaths. And what was interesting on top of all that is that group showed improvements on walking the stairs or hill compared with the placebo group. So I think it's fair to say that not only did they have their symptoms improved, but actually their functional status was improved. 
Now, of course, I think it's needless to say that another fear physicians have is addiction or making people dependent on a medication. And opioids, like many classes of medications, are very seductive. Once you try them, you really don't want to stop them. And this was a four-week trial, so we really do need longer trials, trials that last many months or many years. The problem is, of course, people today with late-stage COPD and a lot of chronic breathlessness don't have time for those trials to be done. So I think we are going to have to keep in our minds that we do have this ability to palliate those patients. I will admit that I am not in love with the term palliative care. I actually like what it is supposed to mean. I just don't think it often happens. So I like the term hospice care. It explains what's going on, meaning you're going into a type of care, which is an end-of-life care where they're going to focus more on quality of life and not so much on quantity of life and let a disease process to take its course. Of course, in hospice care, we do sometimes do things to prolong life, you know, treat a UTI or pneumonia if the patient wants it to be done. But the main focus is palliating symptoms, whether that be pain or shortness of breath or nausea or spiritual or anxiety. But there is this cohort of patients that get enrolled in these palliative care services. Now, I will say this probably is very regional dependent on how well that goes. I am speaking particularly of my region in Colorado where people get enrolled in palliative care and then really don't get any palliative care. There are probably areas of the country where there are palliative care, non-hospice physicians who really are focused on patients and palliating their symptoms and somehow have funding to do that. But palliative care in Colorado, at least the parts of Colorado I know of, usually means we'll sign you up with a service that does hospice and palliative care. But if you're on palliative care, they really never come out. And when you have a problem, they're usually busy with hospice patients, so they tell you to go to the ER. And I tell patients this, there's really three ways to travel roads in medicine. One road is do very aggressive care. One road is to be purely palliative, like hospice care. And then there's this middle road where you do a little bit of a la carte service of both and usually don't do either well. Of course, none of those should be confused with do not resuscitate status or DNR. When someone has a DNR, you can still do very aggressive care up until the time the heart stops or they stop breathing. I wish our profession could grasp that with DNR status, but I feel subjectively like less than half of our profession does grasp that concept. But going back to palliative care, I really don't think palliation of symptoms gets enough focus. And it doesn't have to be a palliative care service. It really needs to come from the MPs, PA, MDs, and DOs. And when it comes to a condition like COPD, we are seeing this all the time in so many fields, right? Internal medicine, family practice, hospice, ER, pulmonary. And unfortunately, this will probably remain a perfect example where there is some evidence-based medicine where we can really palliate some symptoms, but we're not going to. You know, sometimes we do things that don't make sense because we haven't thought it all the way through, like cutting down trees that birds live in to make birdhouses. And my point is, despite the evidence, and this isn't the only trial, by the way, 
showing that there can be some benefit of using low-dose, long-acting opioids in patients that are suffering with COPD and very much having breathlessness symptoms. This is an opportunity where we can all do true palliative care. We don't need to wait for a palliative care service to see these patients. We don't need to be fearful that we're going to shut down respiration with low dosages of opioids. And that's why studies like these are very important to know about and to keep in mind when you're seeing these patients. All right, my name is Dr. Gil Parat, and I will catch you on the next round.